Wedge Issues is brought to you by WISPolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's WISPolitics.com. Like so many other good things in life, today's episode of Wedge Issues is the result of a goofy interaction on Twitter. And it also breaks the mold a little bit from our normal format. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics. And today, a little bit about sports, too, specifically soccer. So if you follow sports news or Madison news or Wisconsin news, you may be aware that Madison is getting its own professional soccer team, the Forward Madison Football Club. And if you've been following the team at all, you are probably also aware that the team's logo incorporates a pink flamingo. And if you follow the team on social media, you are probably further aware that the team's official mascot is an actual pink plastic flamingo named Mingo, of course. So I confess I am not really a person who watches a lot of soccer right now. I have a lot of friends who do, but I do appreciate good social media content. And and Twitter has made me a huge fan of Mingo, the plastic pink flamingo. So I figured the best way to meet Mingo would probably be to invite him in for a Wedge Issues interview. And I figured that if I tried hard enough, I could find a way to connect soccer with politics. It turns out I didn't have to try that hard. Uh, Starting a new soccer team involves a lot of work with local governments, and getting people to support your local soccer team is a lot like running a political campaign. I learned all of that from talking with Peter Wilt, the team's managing director, and Jason Klein, who runs the team's social media efforts. Mingo was also here, uh, but he didn't have much to say because he's a plastic flamingo. Stay tuned for all of that, but first, Eric Lawrenson will join me here to round up this week's political news. Hey, Eric, how are you today? I'm good. I ate four cupcakes today. You sure did. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) It's me, Eric Lawrenson, apparently a three-year-old recapping their day. And I saw a fire truck. I'm and it was proud great. of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Best day ever. But yeah, they it's were our really good cupcakes. Coworker though. Caitlin Farrell's birthday today, and she made Watergate cupcakes. Yeah, which are apparently named thusly because they include pudding as an ingredient, and because of the advent of instant pudding, this is all what Caitlin was telling me at the same time that the Watergate scandal was happening. Just those two things got intrinsically linked. And now Watergate also describes cupcakes so <laughs> in addition to political scandal. Weird. <laughs> but yeah. they're good cupcakes. Yeah. Yes. Very tasty. Scandalously delicious. Ah, eh. see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so the news. Yeah. Not a particularly scandalous or I guess headline filled week necessarily. Kind of a slower news week. It's been a little slower than last week, which was budget week, which was huge. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of budgets, we did see on Thursday, when as we are recording, today is Thursday, um, the release of the capital budget. So 
What exactly is the capital budget? The capital budget is where uh, funds are allocated for things like building improvements, like infrastructure improvements that are like not roads, you know, buildings, parks, um, state-owned facilities. And um, as we're talking, this actually just came out, so I've had about five minutes to look at it. So I don't have a lot of details other than we know that the governor is proposing $2.5 billion in this budget. And actually not quite half of that is um, just stuff for the University of Wisconsin system. So a lot of UW building improvements um, in there. Taking a look at a couple things I noticed, there's um, some some facility upgrades for correctional facilities, particularly focusing on some of the juvenile facilities that as part of that larger overhaul. There's money to actually tear down the current Wisconsin Historical Museum and mm. build a new one, which has been a conversation for a little while. Um, like I said, those UW improvements, there's some money to renovate uh, Camp Randall Stadium. There's some money to renovate and build on a little bit to the Kohl Center. So um, in, in addition to a lot of academic building improvements and, and residence halls and things like that. So that has to get approval from legislators, just like every other initiative that, that comes uh, forward in the budget process. And so that's that's the conversation and debate that legislators will be having in the context of the, uh, the larger budget discussion. How much debate is there typically with a capital budget? Does it get as heated as with the normal budget? <laughs> the normal the budget? budget? I mean, this is, the budget budget, you know, includes maybe a little bit more sort of policy-oriented things, whereas this is just determining what's a priority to fund. So you'll get some disagreements about, you know, should we really be spending this much money on this particular project? Are there other projects that are um, – more urgent or more important, um, but it's a little less emotional, I guess, mm-hmm. than the the budget debate in whole because because you're talking at the end of the day about buildings, right? And and um, you know there are buildings and parks and things that some lawmakers probably feel more strongly about than others, but but that's kind of the extent of it. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm sure there'll be uh, more takeaways from the budget after you get a chance to review it, and you know fresh fresh off the presses this capital budget is so yeah it is out um i'm sure we'll have more to say in the future but moving right along given that it's been a bit of a slow news week we wanted to briefly talk about um a sort of an ongoing story that we have not acknowledged too much so far in wedge issues which is the state supreme court race so i think there's been a lot of focus in this race on one candidate in particular brian hagedorn who is considered the more conservative of the two candidates running. Of course, the Supreme Court is a nonpartisan race, um, but nevertheless, they're... Like everything else, not yeah, on party, party lines. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, Brian Hagedorn has come under some fire over the recent months. There have been a couple of stories that have kind of linked him to anti-LGBTQ um, anti-queer sort of sentiments or positions. Uh, f- first of all, there was a story about some blog posts that he wrote in, I believe, 2006. 2006? Yep. Yeah, 2005, 2006, when he was a law student. He had a blog and um, talked about his personal beliefs and, and talked about some of his legal beliefs, too. But but this, um, you know, in particular, he was very critical of a, a decision to strike down Texas's anti-sodomy law and um, drew some comparisons between between that decision being made and, and potentially opening the door for bestiality. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, uh, wispolitics.com reported on uh, another blog post where he uh, was critical of the Mormon theology. Um, so, was, you know, beliefs that, that he has that come from uh, an evangelical Christian background. 
And that religious connection was also there in another story that came out a few weeks later, I believe, um, about his affiliation with a Christian school, a Christian elementary school in Delafield, Wisconsin, the Augustine School, which is a Christian elementary school that he founded, co-founded rather, and is on the board of directors of, which was founded on some beliefs that kind of, you know, stressed the Uh, that uh, marriage is between one man and one woman um, that also had in this uh, document kind of outlining its core beliefs, uh, basically a disavowal of um, trans identities. So again, just another sort of anti-LGBTQ position linked to this guy due to his association and creation of this school. Yep, and and that school um, bans employees and um, students and even parents of students from having uh, gay relationships, particularly talking about um, what they describe as immoral sexual behavior. Um, but yeah, between between that, the blog posts, and um, the fact that he's spoken to the group, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a group that also opposes gay marriage, um, supports bringing back anti-sodomy laws, um, supports uh, requiring sterilization for transgender people. Um, he's he's given a, a few speeches to that group, and sort of the the sum of all of those parts actually led to the Wisconsin Realtors Association um, to ask for their $18,000 donation back, and they withdrew their support for him from the race. They do tend to support more conservative candidates, and so it was uh, no one could really recall them pulling an endorsement before um, this happened. And so he's uh, getting some flack from this, not just from the left, but a little bit from within uh, his own political corner. Um, He is arguing that the criticisms of this are attacks on his Christian faith, um, that, you know, every person has beliefs that they have to set aside when mm-hmm. they put on the robe. And, you know, that, that being a judge is not about imposing those beliefs, that it's about assessing, you know, what the law is and, and how it applies in a case. Yeah. And I, I mean, just this past week, there was news that his opponent, Lisa Neubauer, was going to get some pretty significant support from a Democratic-leaning um, political spending group that was, I believe, founded by Eric Holder or is a- right. a- affiliated yeah. with Eric Holder in some way. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because I believe Brian Hagatorn was out spending um, Neubauer in February, right? But I don't know if these recent developments are going to change that dynamic at all yeah, or if there's the- some the sense of among observers that that's likely going to happen. It's definitely kind of the question that everyone's asking right now, looking to see what um, business groups are are going to do. There was a report in the Journal Sentinel recently that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was not going to be spending money in the race, and that money, if they had spent, would have been on Hagedorn's behalf. Um, But the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, which is Eric Holder's group, is putting in $350,000, they said. It was a, a large amount of money that they're putting into Wisconsin, it's one of three states that they're targeting, and they're putting far more resources into Wisconsin than in any other state. So um, they played a role in Judge Rebecca Dallet's campaign, uh, the most recent race. She was the liberal-backed candidate. She won that race. Uh, Eric Holder visited the state to campaign for her. I don't recall how much they spent on her behalf, but it was a good chunk of change, and Eric Holder is going to be coming back to campaign for Lisa Neubauer now. And after you know weeks of, of being in the news with for stories where he was being attacked, the Hagedorn attack back on on Lisa Neubauer with this was that she, when she started her campaign, talked about the role of outside money in races and said that she would ask outside groups to stay out of the race. So with the news that Eric Holder's group was getting involved, the Hagedorn campaign uh, was was playing up those old statements a little bit. 
Gotcha. Um, well, the election is April 2nd, so I'm sure that we'll be seeing a lot more about the Supreme Court race in the weeks leading up the to that. The ads are ramping up as oh we speak. Uh, oh <laughs> a couple new ones <laughs> went up just in the last few days. So I'm sure if you're watching TV or even Hulu now, they have them. Yeah. You can't escape them anymore. Yeah. Facebook yeah. I'm, has mm-hmm. been a very robust channel these days for political advertisements. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all over the place, really. Well, so I hear that the interview that you did for today's episode is all about soccer. It's a little different. Yeah. Um, shamelessly, really, I just wanted to meet Mango, the plastic flamingo who serves as the mascot for the for the Forward Madison team. But ah, he was uh, in the interview week. He, he was. was the he, he, well, I mean, he took the hot seat. He he, he can't really speak for himself. So uh, okay. there's a little translation. But he was <laughs> okay. here. Yeah. Uh, but I actually found out that there are a lot of connections between politics and soccer because they, you know, teams have to work with local governments to get started. Mm. And um, there are a lot of similarities between sort of getting people to support your team and getting people to support a political candidate. So it's a little bit of a break from the norm, but I think people will still find some political ties in there. I am so psyched to hear it. All right. Without further ado, let's let's dive in. And yeah, here's here's Jesse talking about soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I am really excited uh, for this particular episode of Wedge Issues, which has very little to do with state politics, except it kind of does still somehow a little bit. Um, We're going to be talking about soccer, which is actually something I know very little about. And I'm learning more and more about it because we have a professional soccer team coming to Madison and I'm getting excited about it. So um, we have the managing director and, and the spokesman and the mascot for the Forward Madison Football Club here. Can we have you guys introduce yourselves and, and let our listeners know a little bit about yourselves? Hi, I'm Jason Klein. I help run the social media for Forward Madison. Uh, and I've brought along a special guest. It's our plastic pink flamingo, who we've nicknamed affectionately Mingo. So I'm actually a, a senior at UW-Madison studying journalism. I knew Peter from a long way back because he started a soccer team in Indianapolis when I was in high school, and I, and I lived there. So when he came here, I got in touch with him. Uh, we had Plaza Burgers together. <laughs> the ultimate Madison. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? And now I'm working for the team. So it's it's quite nice, actually. That's awesome. Good stuff. I'm Peter Wilt. Um, I joined uh, the group when it was Madison Pro Soccer uh, a couple of days before we announced to the public uh, that Big Top Sports and Entertainment was going to bring a professional soccer team to Madison. I think May 15th was the day I started in 2018. And Two days later, we received uh, city council approval to um, get the improvements at Bree Stevens Field that would allow the professional soccer team to be there. Um, My background is in starting professional soccer teams around the Midwest mostly. I've started 
uh, three or four in Chicago, the Indianapolis team that Jason mentioned, and uh, a team in Minnesota as well. I've lived in Wisconsin the last 40 years, but this is the first time I've started a pro team actually in Wisconsin, so it's pretty exciting to be here. So what made the time right and the location right to bring this to Wisconsin and particularly Madison? I think a couple of things. I think from a big picture standpoint, the progress of the sport of soccer and the acceptance in the United States and in Wisconsin and in Madison in particular, uh, but also the timing of big top sports and entertainment, getting the rights to operate Bree Stevens Field and the rights to improve the amenities and the capacity from 3,000 seats to 5,000 seats, um, the work, the groundwork that Vern Stenman and Connor Kaloya from Big Top have done, uh, but really just in the development of the, the East Capital Corridor. You know, in the last few years, it's really emerged from a sea of used car lots <laughs> to this burgeoning um, entertainment district and um, with mixed-use development. And it's, it's almost a little bit of a, a miniature Wrigleyville. And to have a true Wrigleyville, you need a sports team <laughs> to play in the middle of it. So I, I, I think those factors all play into it. Yeah. So to, to start a team, I imagine it probably gets a little bit easier every time you do it, but there are lessons learned, and I'm sure things that are unique in every city that you do it. How has it been different or, or even similar in Madison compared to other cities that you've done this in? It does change. You're right. And there are lessons you learn. And I've been doing it. I've been in soccer for 30 years. Uh, but um, starting up teams from scratch, I guess, has really been the last 20 years. And I think that timing difference is a bigger factor than the market difference. Uh, although certainly some markets are are easier than others. Madison is really well situated from a demographic standpoint. Soccer tends to uh, be a sport that appeals to progressives uh, and to young people. And of course, Madison is rich with those demographics. Um, whereas in, in Chicago, when I started the Chicago Fire in 1997, while it's a very diverse city and large, so you've got numbers, it was 1997. <laughs> and there was still a lot of uh, education needed uh, on the soccer landscape. And now generations have now grown up with the sport, not just playing the sport, but more importantly, watching the sport on a professional level. Uh, whether it's uh, domestically or internationally. So you have this generation that's grown up with the sport, has a passion for it, and wants to support their own local team. Jason, what, what excites you about being involved in this team? So I think I'm sort of that demographic that Peter was talking about. I'm someone who is able to grow up with soccer as a sport. And I think it, it sort of plays a unique role because for me, it's very fan-centric. It's uh, something where if you do it right, uh, the community can really get involved. So that's what I've been looking forward to. Sorry, pardon the pun. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> with the team is that I think it's something that maybe the, the city can rally behind. 
So let's talk about that. You set it up nicely for the forward discussion. How did the name decision come to be made and why forward? Well, two reasons, right? Because the first one is that forward is the state motto of Wisconsin, and it has been since, I believe, the 1850s. But the other is that it wasn't our decision. It was the fans' decision. So Again, we've really been trying to reach out to the community and give them a say in how this club is built. So we launched uh, a club naming contest last year. We got tons of submissions. I don't know. I, there were some of them that were really far out there. But <laughs> In Madison? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but Forward was the one that advanced all the way through and ended up winning the contest, and now that's our team's name. What I loved about the crowdsourcing efforts and the name the team promotion is that we ask people to submit names and team colors, by the way, that would reflect the city or the state through geography, history, tradition, culture, have that connectivity so that the name would be part of the identity of the community overall. And while there were some really wacky, wild, fun <laughs> um, names, the Mad Cows, for instance, <laughs> okay, uh, they almost all seemed to resonate or connect with the community. And, and, and that's what y- you want. You don't want a generic name like the Eagles that might be a neat name or have a neat mascot but has nothing really to do with the community. And with Forward, uh, it, it was the most popular submission that we received, and it, it got the most votes as, as we went along. And it obviously, as Jason said, uh, has a historic connection with the state and has a sense of progressiveness through the name Forward, uh, which connects with Madison. But it didn't have a real tangible icon to the name that would allow us to have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, And so Flamingos uh, kind of evolved out of that desire to have something that the fans could connect to. Uh, it was also one of the more popular submissions. And uh, in the voting, it I don't think it made it to the finals, but it, I think it might have made it to the semifinals. And we thought the Flamingo story connected well with Madison, and it could play well on a number of levels. You know, we reached different demographics. We, the youth soccer community is so important to a professional soccer team. And uh, a Flamingo is something fun that uh, I think kids can relate to and, or connect to. And then the young adults, I think, like the whimsy, the, the, the humor of, of the flamingo and uh, the, the history it has with Madison. Yeah, I mean, this is if you're if you're not from Madison or if you're not familiar with the city's history, it would seem a little odd that a flamingo would be the mascot for the city's soccer team. But it's not just flamingos; it's it's the yard, the plastic flamingos. And so Jason's going to play the role here of of our Mingo translator because uh, I think Mingo's a little shy and and you know he can he can be here and be part of this conversation but doesn't really have the ability to weigh in for himself but but could we talk a little bit have you share Mingo's story a little bit about um, why the the plastic flamingos are are so important to this this team and, and this city yeah well we've got Mingo our famous plastic pink flamingo here with us in the studio uh 
You, it, it, it's a little tough because you can't see him, but he can sort of bump the microphone. I don't know if you can. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the story goes back to 1979, when I think if you're a Madisonian, you're probably familiar with the story. Uh, there is a, uh, a student government group run by pranksters who decided before the first day of class that they were going to plant 1,008 plastic pink flamingos on Bascom Hill right in the center of campus. People woke up. They didn't really know what was going on. They took photos. The story spread. And it sort of becomes this symbol for the city of Madison, where years later there are still people that have plastic pink flamingos from that day in their backyard. Uh, it becomes the city's official bird, the plastic pink flamingo. It becomes something like an inside joke for people who live in the city. And now Mingo has come to life for us. He's been the star of our social media at various times, an assistant coach, at other times our, our goalkeeper. He even scored a bicycle kick. Uh, <laughs> it, we've just been having a lot of fun. I mean, why take ourselves too seriously? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I played soccer as a kid for maybe a season or two, like everyone does and tries and wasn't very good at it. So that was about my soccer experience up until, you know, a few years ago. And I think it started to become a little bit more popular and something I paid attention to. But what really caught my eye with the team here in Madison was this pink flamingo kept showing up on my Twitter feed. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on here? This is kind of cool. And you've got... Like you said, videos of him playing on the field. Doing, I mean, how how did you get this pink flamingo to do bicycle kicks? Uh, it was that one was the most difficult because it took two people. So uh, I threw the flamingo, and Kuba, who's sort of my boss, uh, threw the uh, a soccer ball at it, <laughs> and we did it enough times until we got a take where they hit each other. <laughs> um, uh, subsequently knocking a hole in the flamingo when its leg went all the way through it. But uh, we just, it was sort of funny. We rewound the video at the point where it hits it so that it looks more like a bicycle kick and then <laughs> toss the ball into the goal. <laughs> okay. Um, are, are you finding that people are responding pretty well to the, the Mingo presence on social media? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the whole goal is to say, okay, we're not like the most prestigious team in the world. We don't have to keep a stiff collar. So let's do some things that are a little weird. Let's uh, do some things that are a little crazy. Wedge Issues is sponsored by wispolitics.com. You can become a wispolitics.com member. Find out more at wispolitics.com slash membership. So I think soccer is, is unique in its community aspect. You don't really hear about that as much from other sports, with the exception maybe being the Packers in Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsinites are used to feeling like they have a little bit of a sense of ownership or um, involvement in their, their teams. But the way I hear you guys talk about soccer, it's not the way that you hear a lot of professional sports teams talking about their fans. That community seems incredibly important. So how do you incorporate that into getting a team off the ground? I think that's a reflection of the sport worldwide, that 
soccer teams, and that's why there's so much passion for a soccer team around the world. You, you may see it manifested in the extreme worst case with riots, but you know, 99.99% of the time, it's more just in this passionate outpouring of either love or anger at the, the team not doing well or doing well. And it's because they believe the team on the field reflects them. Uh, that they have a sense of ownership in that team. You know, the extreme version of that in the United States is the Green Bay Packers, and we're very fortunate to have that in our backyards. In soccer, we try to create that uh, by building a team from the bottom up. So it's grassroots. It's creating connections through social, media, civic, sporting, cultural, charitable organizations. And if we can create enough of those emotional connections from the bottom up, then this will truly be the community's team and they will have a sense of ownership and love for the team that will be sustainable. You know, if it's just a matter of going out and selling tickets, doing promotions, that needs to be recreated every game, every year. Whereas if we're successful in connecting the team to the community where they feel it's theirs, that's, again, very sustainable. And that happens uh, usually over time because sports passion is usually generational. You know, um, my dad's from the south side of Chicago, so he was a White Sox fan and I became a White Sox <laughs> fan. And he was a White Sox fan because his dad was a White Sox fan. Well, we're creating this team uh, from the beginning and don't have the benefit of that generational uh, passion or support. So we're doing it this other way. And I think by doing that, we expand our potential audience from maybe the traditional soccer audience of, of you know, kids that play the game and their parents, um, young adults who follow the sport um, online or on 24-hour soccer channels, usually European soccer. New Americans is also a, a popular soccer demographic, especially Latinos uh, who have their favorite team already. Usually if they're New Americans, they're coming from a place where they already have a favorite team. And then in that case, our hope is that Forward Madison can be their second favorite team. <laughs> or for the second generation immigrant, maybe Forward Madison can be their favorite team. But the new demographic is really maybe a non-traditional sports fan or someone who really, like yourself, doesn't see themselves as a soccer fan, but they love Madison, they love the community, and they see this team in a, as a manifestation of that. And, and if we can create that environment and give the fans ownership in it and let them be not just advocates for what we're doing, but evangelists, you know, and, and spreading uh, the message, uh, this will continue to take off. So when I when I hear about this and when I watch, you know, what you guys are doing to, to get people like myself excited about it, it reminds me a lot of the world that I live in where politicians and candidates are working to, you know, get people to pay attention on social media, go out in the community and tell their friends about the campaign. Do you see do you see parallels between running a political campaign and getting people to become fans of a soccer team? Absolutely. You know, we're doing a door-to-door campaign literally <laughs> in the Tenny Lapham neighborhood. Um, you know, part of our relationship with our, our neighbors uh, at Tenny Lapham 
is to be a, a, a good neighbor at Bree Stevens Field, not just for the soccer team, but for the concerts, the festivals that we put on there as, as part of Big Top. And uh, as part of that, we've offered special discounts, uh, special early news information to the neighborhood. Um, we're, we're going door to door in the neighborhood, uh, giving flyers with the latest information on the team so we can be good neighbors. Uh, one of the teams I ran earlier in Chicago, the Chicago Fire, we moved out to uh, Naperville for two years while Soldier Field was being renovated. And it was on short notice. Uh, the neighborhood was uh, very skeptical about us coming in. And we actually met with each alderman in the town individually. We needed uh, the city council approval uh, to, to be there. And uh, the business leaders that were in the neighborhood, you would think they would appreciate the additional business we were bringing them. <laughs> but they actually said, no, it's on a Saturday night for your games, and we're already full. We don't want your fans taking our parking spaces. So we had to negotiate with the business association on how to handle uh, the parking. Uh, it's a very political endeavor, both in terms of real politics we need governmental approvals. We're working with the city of Madison t uh, to improve Bree Stevens Field. But to your point, it's a political campaign. In the Naperville situation with the fire, we actually did a season ticket campaign in the off season where we were planting lawn signs. I had uh, passing out campaign buttons. We had bumper <laughs> stickers uh, asking people to support their local pro soccer team. And that's what it is. You know, it's um, you influence the influencers. And, the, you know, that's changed over the years. The method of, of reaching people has changed. It's not as much with uh, traditional media. It's uh, more with uh, online and social media. It's doing podcasts like today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's changing just as, as political campaigns change. And, and, and you mentioned you have to navigate city and, and potentially other forms of, of government. How do you familiarize yourself with the different city or local, you know, local governments you have to, to work with? And, and what does that process look like? Well, we're very fortunate with the big top sports and entertainment leadership. They've had a long and positive relationship with the city. Uh, in addition, obviously, to Forward Madison FC, or maybe not obviously, maybe the listeners don't know, but Big Top uh, owns and operates the Madison Mallards. Also, uh, the Shake the Lake um, fireworks celebration is put on by Big Top Sports and Entertainment. And Big Top has worked very closely for almost two decades now with the city of Madison, uh, governmental leaders, on being a good citizen. And that's always been important to Big Top. And I think that was I, I can't overemphasize how important that relationship for two decades has been in, uh, I don't want to say greasing the wheels, but really giving credibility to this endeavor where the city f believed that Big Top could pull this off in, in a way that would be good for the city based on past experience. Sure. And Jason, you and I have talked a little bit about the city of Madison's relationship with the rest of the state. And, you know, as, as someone who covers state politics, I, 
I hear about it a lot. You know, you and and it's it's no different than people talking about Washington D.C. and sort of people will always, I think, look down a little bit upon the the center of government because that's the place that raises their taxes and that's the place that makes decisions that they don't like. And you know, in in the state of Wisconsin, we hear a lot about the urban rural divide. We hear a lot about resentment between um, you know the rest of the state and the city of Madison or the rest of the state and the city of Milwaukee. Uh, and, and and you have some thoughts, and I think Mango also maybe has some thoughts on on how that might be changed by having a, a pro soccer team here. Well, I mean, hopefully institutions like for Madison are things that can project a, a good image for this city uh, to the wider state so that they don't just see what's going on in the politics here, that they have a reason to like Madison, and I think uh, Mingo, Mingo would say something similar, uh, that maybe if you don't like the politicians you see in Madison, you can like the pink flamingos, if that makes sense. Yeah. How can you argue with, he's such a nice little flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's let's talk you know, just nuts and bolts a little bit. Um, you guys have been rolling out announcements, and I know you've got some coming up that you you can't talk about yet um, that people can can watch for in the coming days. But you guys have been announcing some new players and uh, it, it, sort of rolling things out again in a pretty interesting social media way of of uh, kind of rolling out one thing at a time. But what has the growth been like, and and what kind of things do fans still have to look forward to to hearing about? Well, the growth has been really phenomenal. I mean, people have sort of taken to what we've been doing and uh, in sort of that campaign style, uh, we've built it from the grassroots together with our supporters. So uh, what's going to be coming up at least is this Saturday we're unveiling our inaugural jerseys at Bree Stevens Field at our new club shop there. The... um New retail store is really exciting. We're getting some new gear from Hummel, our uh, team apparel supplier. Uh, but the big news is going to be the new jerseys. We're going to unveil uh, both the home jersey and the away jersey and uh, two of the goalkeeper jerseys as well this weekend. So uh, Saturday about noon, right at Bree Stevens Field, the new retail store is actually underneath the stands on the corner of Patterson and Washington Avenue. But the buildup has been really fun, and it's the players have been a big part of that. That's an easy thing to announce. We've got two dozen players that um, will be coming to us or have already signed, and each one of those has their own unique story. And there's been a couple of uh, unique Madison stories in that. Uh, There's been... Uh, a number of international stories. We have players from Brazil and Mexico and Panama and Ecuador and our uh, newest signing from Japan. Uh, so yeah, there's just, it's it's so fun to watch this all coalesce. And a big part of that is the supporters. Uh, supporters are, are the lifeblood of any fan base in soccer. You know, the I guess the closest comparison in traditional sports is a, a student section uh, of a college team. The, the flock is a Forward Madison supporters group, and it's important to note that they're independent of Forward Madison. Uh, they're an organic organization that started with the 
intention to support, literally, uh, the team. And they are a socially conscious organization that has uh, charitable tie-ins and fundraising for good works as part of their mission. Can you tell me a little bit about how you bring players to a team in Madison? Um, <laughs> how you get someone to come from Japan or Ecuador to, to come play soccer in Madison, Wisconsin? It starts with the hiring of our coaches. Um, we hired Daryl Shore to be our head coach and technical director. Uh, I was fortunate to work with Daryl at the Chicago Fire for eight years. He actually spent 10 years at the Fire as an assistant coach before going to Real Salt Lake of Major League Soccer, where he spent a good amount of time. And Daryl's also been a head coach in lower-level soccer in the United States for a number of years. So he's got a wonderful network of agents, coaches, and players, uh, as do I. And so there's no shortage of uh, players coming to us. And, you know, truth be told, we're not the uh, Bundesliga or La Liga or English Premier League. So the pool of players capable of playing and succeeding at our level is extraordinary. Uh, it's, it's not this pool of maybe 500 <laughs> possible players that we're competing for. So with our tentacles out there and our network, we're able to identify players that can succeed at this level, have good character, good work rates, and will be here for the team and not just for themselves. And those are important factors when building a winning team. Our league, USL League One, is third division in the United States, but we have a, an affiliation with the Major League Soccer team in Minnesota. So we'll be getting uh, five to six of their players added to our roster. And we believe the roster we've put together should be uh, more than competitive to earn a playoff spot. Four of the 10 teams in USL League One will uh, advance to the playoffs in October. And we're uh, very confident that we'll be in that playoff picture. What are some of the, the teams that you guys will be playing? Who can we expect to um, see coming to, to, to Madison? So like Peter said, there are 10 teams in the league, mm -hmm. and it's a national league. So they're from all across the country. Uh, there are other animal-themed teams, the Chattanooga Red Wolves. There's the South Georgia Tormenta, who have, a, I think, a pelican <laughs> in their logo. <clears throat> There's also the Lansing Ignite. Michigan, who are the closest ones to us. So they keep calling us out and trash-talking <laughs> us. It's going to be fun when we play them. But we have, a, we have a pink flamingo on our roster. So if we ever need a utility player, you know, Peter, if you ever, ever want to call him in, he's here for you. <laughs> and he does really well. <laughs> he's been practicing. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. The league is uh, national in scope from Toronto to Tucson and Orlando uh, to Madison. So there'll be some very good teams from coming around the country to uh, right here in Madison. We've been playing preseason games for the last uh, few weeks. We started preseason February 15th. Had a big win against one of my older teams, Indy 11. Uh, and uh, we went down to St. Louis, played a, a second division team there. And uh, we'll be playing the UW Badgers, actually, the men's soccer team, in an exhibition game uh, at Bree Stevens Field April 16th. 
single game tickets just went on sale for that a couple days ago. And that's all to lead up to the home opener, April 27th. We play on the road to start the year, give Madison a chance to warm up a bit. (laughs) So we'll be in uh, Chattanooga April 6th, Dallas on the 13th, and Orlando on the 20th on 420 before uh, (laughs) coming back here uh, April 27th. Well, where can fans or potential fans go to learn more about the team and what kind of opportunities do they have to get involved? We're on the three major social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, at Ford MSNFC, because the full name doesn't fit, <laughs> and uh, Instagram. We we sort of try to keep things engaging there. So if you... <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you reach out to us, we'll probably hit you back. That's um, how this podcast recording happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Um, we're, we're really excited about the jersey on veil that's coming up. We won't won't give away too many hints, but there may be some flamingos involved. That's that's all we'll say for now. It'll be fun. And the, uh, the website, of course, is forwardmadisonfc.com. Season ticket can be purchased there as well as five-game packs. So people feel they can't make every game, but they want to get involved. There is essentially a game a month. This schedule goes through September and then the playoffs. Uh, so that's available uh, on our website. I also want to mention that part of our, our grassroots community involvement is being is working with a number of charitable organizations. We've partnered uh, with the likes of the Goodman Community Center, Madison Parks Foundation, uh, Second Harvest Food Bank, Madison School and Community Recreation, and Porchlight. The Porchlight Partnership is a great one that I'm real proud of. It's uh, uh, for those that don't know, in Madison, they've been around for decades and decades, and, and they help the homeless population get off the street and get on their feet and give them uh, jobs such as actually making making food that then they sell in the community. One of the products that they make is actually sauerkraut, and uh, we're going to be buying some of their sauerkraut to serve on the bratwurst <laughs> at um, at Bree Stevens Field at Forward Madison Games. So fans, when you're uh, at a Forward Madison game uh, and you get your bratwurst and you put some sauerkraut on it, know that you are helping Porchlight fulfill their mission. Great. Well, thank you guys for, for coming in here. And, and thanks especially for bringing Mingo in for me to meet in person. This is uh, I'm a little bit starstruck here, to be <laughs> honest. This has been a, a social media dream of mine for a little while. But uh, I think you, you may have made a soccer fan out of me. So I think you're convincing people one one Madisonian at a time. It's going to be so much fun. Um, I think when people experience the game, they're going to want to come back over and over again. The environment at a professional soccer game is unique. And that environment is really created by the fans themselves. You know, the supporters will be standing, singing, chanting for 90 minutes. Uh, there'll be displays supporting the team. Uh, they'll be, they're already working on, on banners and, 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 uh, and posters and such, and there'll be smoke bombs that will go off, hopefully, because <laughs> that means we've scored a goal. Oh, okay. When, when we score <laughs> goals, uh, they will celebrate, uh, and, and we'll all celebrate with them. And I think that's part of the excitement, part of the fun. And at Bree Stevens Field, which is a remarkable uh, venue in a great location, Madison is really going to have a special treat this summer. Okay, one last important question. Where does Mingo sit during the games? I don't know. I think there may be some friends of his that will have special places 
throughout the venue, but Mingo may be a traveling uh, icon so that more and more uh, fans can meet him. That's true. That sounds like a good idea to me. Well, the, the, the question I, I ask every political candidate, I actually have two questions that I ask everyone who comes in on this podcast, and I'm not going to let anyone here get off the hook uh, without <laughs> answering. So I, I ask everyone their favorite Wisconsin cheese and their favorite Wisconsin beer. We could go with Mingo sure. first. Uh, yeah. I, we can do Mingo instead of me. Okay. Let's, let's hear from Mingo. So Mingo really likes the fried cheese curds at the Dane County Farmer's Market mm, okay. uh, near the Capitol. And for cheese and for beer, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, is Mingo of age? <laughs> well, 1979, yeah. that makes Mingo around 40, right? Yeah. Uh, we've had a ton of people who have been showing us the various Flamingo beers that exist that I didn't know about. I'd like to imagine that Mingo would be drinking some of them. That sounds like a solid choice. Um, well, on the beer side, um, I actually have created a, a beer. In fact, on my Wikipedia page, it spends more time <laughs> talking about this uh, beer I created than the soccer teams I've created. <laughs> and the beer is called Schlapst. It's uh, Milwaukee's Black and Tan. That and was you? Yes, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, it excites me so much that you know of Schlapst. I do. Yeah, it's uh, for those who don't know, it's Schlitz on the bottom and Pabst on top. It's Milwaukee's black and tan. <laughs> yeah, I, was, uh, we would have just been talking about that the whole time. I had no idea. <laughs> it was at the Highbury Pub, a soccer bar in Milwaukee, uh, August thirtieth, I believe, was a date in two thousand eight. So ten and a half years ago, it came out of a a, a moment of indecision. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 want, I ordered a Pabst. It was 6.30 in the morning before, I think, an Arsenal match. I ordered a Pabst Blue Ribbon, which is my normal drink. And then I changed my mind because I remembered that they had recently got Schlitz in. At the time, it was mm-hmm. kind of coming back. Mm-hmm. So I told Robin Vinji, um, a UW grad, that uh, I, I actually wanted a Schlitz. So she went to get a Schlitz. I said, no, no, no. I changed my mind. I want a Pabst. And I went back and forth so many times. She screamed at me. Peter, make up your mind. And I said, give me both of them. <laughs> she said, in the same glass? And I said, yes. <laughs> and that's how Schlapst was born. Wow. <laughs> this is a huge moment. <laughs> and by the way, I just coincidentally happened to have uh, some, a Schlapstick lip balm with me. <laughs> that's, an, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on the cheese, I would simply say string. String. Solid choice. Yeah. It allows me to play with my food. That's true. Well, and that's the important question I ask everyone who likes string cheese is if you pull or if you bite into it. I'm a puller. That's good. That's the the only acceptable way in my (laughs) life. I like my music soft and sweet, just like the girls I like to meet. And since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming home. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We put new episodes out every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. If you like what you hear on Wedge Issues, you can check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Mad Splainers, which is about local government in Madison, 
and The Corner Table, which is about eating and drinking. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by WISPolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to WISPolitics.com slash membership to find out more.